Welcome to the feature series, How Roger Penske Changed the Indy 500 on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, which celebrates the most successful entrant at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the 50th anniversary of his first event in 1969. Presented by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and Bell Racing Helmets, a long-standing partner of Team Penske, this 15-part series spans some of the greatest drivers, managers, mechanics, engineers, and the man himself, Roger Penske, to document the captain's vast influence on America's defining motor race, the Indy 500, and in many instances, the sport as a whole. We'll also be joined by a reporter who covered Penske's Indy debut a half century ago and some of his fiercest rivals, many of whom admit to being fans of the 82-year-old icon. On the final episode of How Roger Penske Changed the Indy 500, our guests are three of the captain's rivals, starting with Rahal Letterman Lanigan co-owner Bobby Rahal, continuing with McLaren Racing CEO Zach Brown, and closing with Chip Ganassi Racing Managing Director Mike Hall. Mr. Rahal, you and Roger Penske have a very interesting and intertwined relationship throughout the years, mm-hmm. knowing that we are at this 50th anniversary of his participation and trying to bring some context to his contributions to the sport, especially to the 500. There's an interesting relationship the two of you have had for quite some time. You're both team owners and have been, but he's a former driver. I heard you did fairly well at a driving <laughs> career. Where should we start just in your thoughts of this relationship and just seeing what Roger has done for this sport, especially at the 500? Well, you know, I've, of course, I didn't know Roger personally until much later, but um, obviously saw Roger drive as a driver, you know, race as a driver, uh, where he was very competitive, very successful. And then, um, and then really saw him uh, from, you know, admired his teams from afar for the professionalism that, you know, Roger was really the guy that uh, um, really brought, I think, professionalism to racing of, of all types of racing, not just uh, IndyCar and sports cars. And, you know, everybody used to remark how his pants were neatly creased and sure. he wore, you know, Gucci loafers and, you know, just it, it was kind of a different look that he brought, a uh, much more professional look that he brought to, and it wasn't just a look; it was a it was a kind of a philosophy and a you know operating philosophy and a conceptual philosophy that he um, you know he kind of ra- he raised the he's the one who set the bar he's raised the bar and he's he's raised it on many different occasions um, uh, and and you know I mean here he's he's one. 17500s or something and and uh but you know it was it was also i mean he was the guy to beat you know when when i was driving um if you beat roger's team on uh, on that uh on that given day you really felt like you'd done something and um and the and, and of course the satisfaction that you got uh from uh from competing successfully against Roger was tremendous. Uh, you really, like I said, as a driver or as a team owner, you feel like you've really, you've really done something because Roger is the guy. He's 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 the goalpost. And uh, uh, so, in any event, um, you know, I have tremendous uh, uh, respect for Roger. You know, he's the guy who also, in in you know, people t- remark about how I took my racing career and, and parlayed that into um, a successful business career. But Roger predated me, you know, by decades, you know. So all I did was kind of 
follow the example that he led. And um, and so I've had I've had a great I think uh, opportunity to to see Roger work not only at the racetracks but in the in the boardrooms and in and in, uh, in you know the day to day business of selling automobiles that we both do uh, do pretty well at and. So it's uh, it's there's a yeah. blueprint there. It's, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's the guy, and nobody really was doing that before him. So, um, uh, but since him, you know, a lot of others have. From a driving standpoint, Bob, when you're coming up through the ranks in the '70s, in particular, Roger had already uh, been into the team ownership side for mm-hmm. a while. But you, especially with your father and his racing history, I have to imagine your first understanding of roger was as a driver and as a successful one did that shape any thoughts on your end as well in your young career of aha here's someone who i've seen can be class a person in multiple disciplines well i have to say you know when i you know when i walk as, as a spectator as a fan as I still am, but particularly in those days, the idea of driving a race car was seemed so far fetched that you know it was unreal. You know, for me, obviously, when I got the chance to start driving, uh, thanks to my father, then um, all of a sudden, you know, well, you know, now you start to, and, and having some success in the junior categories, you know, it felt like okay, this is something that you can um, you, you can make a livelihood out of. You can you can. Uh, uh, build a career. And, uh, uh, so, you know, Roger definitely, um, definitely, uh, was, you know, was really the first example of that. I think that I saw where you could both on and off the racetrack. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I gotta tell you, I remember, I remember, um, listening on the radio in 72 and Donahue won here with Roger and, and, uh, I was, I was so chuffed and you know, so pleased about that because, you know, here was a, here was a guy who was mainly a road racer, you know, coming here, you yeah, know, and showing all these all the roundy rounders, you know, how to go do the how to go do it, and uh, uh, and, and in those days he was up against some great teams, you know, Pernelli Jones team, Bell's Pernelli Jones, and and many others. So, um, yeah, uh, Roger, you know, he he broke a lot of a lot of barriers uh, as he expanded his role in sport, and um, it, it was it was great to watch. You mentioned something before we started recording that it's news to me. I thought I had a pretty good memory of all the interesting points of your career, Bob. There was a time where you could have been a Roger Penske yeah, driver. Sure. Yeah, well, it was interesting. You know, and I think it probably was around 1981, 80, uh, when, um, when uh, IndyCar was doing more and more road racing. Um, I actually sent a letter to Roger. I think I still have it, uh, the response, but it was basically, I sent a letter to Roger saying, hey, I'd like you to consider me, you know, to drive, um, you know, on some of the road courses or the road course section, you know, if, if possible, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, I got a nice letter back that basically said, don't call us, we'll call you. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but it didn't quite say that, but that was the point. That was the point. That was the point. And anyway, in 84, um, in 1984, uh, I, on the Las Vegas weekend, I'm sitting outside. Uh, the cars were in a, in an auditorium of, of sorts, you know. And uh, um, Dan Luganbill came up to me, and of course, I'd gotten to know Dan. And Dan was was Roger's right hand guy. He was the guy, you know. His title was PR guy, but he was a lot more than that. Sure. And uh, 
anyway, uh, Dan comes up and he says, uh, "Would you come up? Would you come with me?" And uh, we like Roger would like to speak to you. So I went in there into this auditorium and we're kind of hidden off behind the corner. And there's Roger and he said, "We'd like you to drive for us in 1985." And uh, uh, of course, I was obviously flattered. Um, and I, you know, I think I had then had to go out and go drive practice or something, so I couldn't give him an answer right there and then. Um, but and I was really, I was really um, tormented because you know the guy who brought me to the dance was Jim Truman. Yeah. And um, and this is before Jim was sick, and uh, and I, uh, you know, I had a lot of a lot, a lot of loyalty to Jim um, for for doing what he did for me, and uh, so in the end I went back and express my appreciation but again my loyalty to Jim um kind of won out and uh and uh, of course then the next year Danny wins the 500 <laughs> I, go, <laughs> I go god you know okay, luckily one year later I did but uh, you sit there and you think geez that could have been me you know? wow. uh, but anyway yeah that's a true story so moving about a decade later there's this really fascinating connection between you and Roger in that your team, you taking over now, moving into team ownership, yeah. trying to make a legacy Made in America chassis successful here at the 500, uh, trying to do a lot of new things here at the 500 were not working out for you. Right. Then not too, coming back not too long after the unthinkable happens, the great team Penske finds themselves yeah. in a yeah. position. I have some wonderful photos of you and your iconic helmet in a red and white, white. Chevron Marlboro <laughs> car my, with the Marlboro livery taken off, right. but you clearly... Miller on a right? genuine draft on the side of it, yeah. You in a Penske backup car, yeah. whatever it was, photos of, I think, Emerson in one of your backup... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Tell us about this unique intersection be- between you and RP well, actually trying to hold each other down yeah. in the hardest of times. Well, you know... In the end, Roger's a, a, a sportsman, you know, um, and, and the great thing about racing has always been that, you know, if, if a fellow competitor needs help, you know, you try to, if you can, you'll, you, you, you'll try to help them. And, um, and that was the case for us in 94 when it was clear that, the, that we weren't going to qualify. And remember, we had not qualified in 93, so I couldn't, you know, the idea of not qualifying again in 94 wasn't going to, that, that was going to be a hard pill for our sponsors or anybody else to swallow, let alone ourselves. So, uh, uh, and, and also it was because of Carl Hogan had a relationship with, with Roger uh, sure. as well. And really it was from, from that, uh, that Carl, you know, we were able to, um, um, uh, lease their, you know, the cars from the previous year, the Penske's. And it was a very good car. I remember getting in the car to do my first laps in it and, you know, I, I facetiously said, well, hell, if I'd had one of these, I could have won four or 500s by now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was a very good car. And we ended up third in the race. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, it, you know, it was great that, that, that we were able to get that help from Roger because had we not gotten that help, um, I think it was, been, it was pretty obvious, pretty clear that, you know, the, the odds of us not making the race were pretty good. Um, but then the next year, of course, Rogers having problems with his cars, getting them up to speed, and it just shows the competitiveness of this of this event. And uh, and sure enough, uh, we were in the position to help him and um, tried to help him as best we could. And um, you know, unfortunately, uh, they st- that still wasn't good enough. They couldn't they couldn't get it get it going there in the time they had. So uh, 
you know, uh, I think the idea of Roger Penske, given all his success here, not qualifying for the Indy 500, I don't think anybody ever could have conceived of that. And, when, and as I said earlier, you know, this just says nothing more than what this race is all about, that there's no gimmies, there's no, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, it's all about now. And uh, and Roger are not qualifying. I think uh, you know showed that. And then of course Roger really you know that really made that point clear. So um, it was. Uh, but as I say, Roger's a first class guy, and uh, in everything he does, and and uh, you know there's no secret. There's no reason. Uh, there's no mystery to the success that he's had. And it's about the leadership that that he really uh, uh, that leader he really show conveys to to not just his people, but. But to the sport, remember also, you know, in the, in the mid early '80s, late '70s, early '80s, Roger and Pat Patrick kept IndyCar racing alive. You know, when they started carts and everything else, so you know, he 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 made a huge investment in, in the sport of IndyCar racing over the years. Obviously, we wouldn't talk numbers or anything private, but can you share some insights, Bob, of whether it's you getting into backup? Penske cars, Roger wanting to use some of, tr- to try and get in the show 95 with yours. What was it like dealing with Roger f- just from a business standpoint? Because there's some business there as well, but I'm sure. curious, was this just something more, I don't want to say among friends, but I can't imagine this would have been, all right, let's flip to page 67 of the contracts, <laughs> yeah, up, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I would imagine it would be more two peers trying to help one another Absolutely. and not making the business a central core. Was that uh, true? I think very much so. And, and remember, the two cars that we got, one was had been made into a show car and the other one, and we, we had to turn it pretty much overnight uh, into a race car, and that couldn't have been done without Roger's people. And I think it was very clear that Roger said to his people, and, I'm, and I have no doubt that a couple of them could have been moaning about it, but you know, I don't think there was no doubt that Roger said, listen, you got to help Carl and Bobby. we got to get this done. You know, and, and so, uh, yeah, it, whether there was some business to it or not was kind of irrelevant because mm. in the end it, it was his, uh, it was his um, I don't know, uh, it, it was his spirit that, that really drove uh, the decision uh, uh, and his friendship that both Carl and I had had and have with him that uh, um, is what generated, what motivated the, 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 the car swap in both years. Let's close on this, Bob. So your son Graham has followed suit in establishing businesses as well while driving, which is great. So he's getting an early start on that. Yeah. What do you look at in terms of RP? coming back to the central point of this 50 years at the Speedway, all the trends that he has set, the ways that he conducts himself. What are the things, whether it's passing on directly to Graham or hoping that he might pick up from RP where you go, boy, these are some, uh, these are some genuinely good things for you to consider. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I think Graham sees Roger. He may not have the years of experience that, I've, that I have with Roger, but he's, He's seen him um, um, certainly as he's been a competitor, and and he I think fully uh, understands, respects, admires uh, Roger for what he's done. Uh, I'm sure, like any driver, Graham would love to have driven for Roger, and who knows, maybe one day. But uh, uh, but in the end, um, again, competing head to head against Roger's guys is that's a big thing for for any driver, and and I think that. Uh, um, you know, uh, and it's interesting because Roger knows that Graham has invested in dealerships, taking his money and investing it. And he's been very, um, 
very, uh, uh, you know, Roger has spent time with Graham on it. And that's just Roger being Roger. You know, nobody's asked him to do that. He just did it. And uh, talking about the car business or talking about this or investing his money. And, and uh, so I think, I think Roger respects Graham for having started following in my footsteps and maybe his footsteps. And he likes to see that a young guy achieving success at some level can now invest so that he can have further success the day he walks away from that race car. Since 1954, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway has served as the proving grounds for the world's most legendary helmet brand. From Jimmy Bryan to Mario Andretti and Elio Castroneves, Bell Helmets has and continues to protect some of the all-time greats. Follow the journey on social media at Bell Racing HQ or by visiting bellracing.com. How have you seen, what have you seen the ways that Roger has maybe changed the culture, competitive mindset, you name it, at the Indy 500? Uh, well, let me start with Roger's my, uh, my hero. Uh, and I think a lot of people would, would say that. I've, uh, I can say a lot of great things about uh, Roger. First and foremost, it's a, a pleasure to know him. I think when you look at uh, Roger, he's done an unbelievable job of uh, having his business benefit from his motor racing efforts um, and his motor racing efforts benefit from his business. I mean, he really uses both as a kind of a case study on how motor racing can can work for your business. I think he employs uh, great talent and uh, delegates, but holds people very accountable. Uh, he's a class act individual, but very, uh, very tough. Uh, funny little story. He came to see me at McLaren not all that long ago, and I saw him uh, driving in the passenger seat with his driver um, coming down the, the lake, and he was in the front seat. And you just wouldn't see anyone. And that, that you know, he's a very... Uh, He's very respectful uh, of everyone, regardless of kind of rank, I guess, is what I'm saying there. So I, I think he's a quality individual. Uh, he knows how to win. Um, he's obviously very sharp, you know, when he brought out the, the Mercedes and, you know, to pull that type of program off at Indianapolis, where it was a double, triple top secret. Um, only Roger could do something like that. That was pretty darn impressive and I think you know as we spoke earlier about people wanting to uh, you know, work at McLaren I think the same can very much be said about uh, Roger Penske and Penske's organization and he's raced in multiple forms of racing and um, you know used to race himself so if I kind of look at uh, uh, my career which um, isn't a, a fraction of success that Roger's had but I do see uh, similarities that he started off as a racer and then a business guy and then he's in multiple different forms of racing so he's someone I've looked up to for for that reason. Mr. Hole, you have always been gracious in sharing praise for Team Penske from the position of respecting your competition. You've always been someone who has said of Roger and their outfit knowing that Chip Ganassi Racing Team and Penske are usually neck and neck each year for wins and championships, you've always been very forthright in saying, when we win, when we beat them, 
that only amplifies our sense of accomplishment. So knowing that, looking at how this year is the 50th anniversary of Team Penske at Indianapolis, curious to get your thoughts on how you have seen Team Penske change culture, set levels and bars, something at the 500, even when you were observing early in your career? Um, Well, first of all, I I think that uh, Mr. Penske uh, approached his very first 500, now 50 years ago, the same way he's going to approach this one. Mm. Um, And uh, he sets the standard for his people uh, with his ethic. And, And I think that's always defined the culture uh, there's probably not too many people left at Penske Racing except for Roger that have been there 50 years. Yeah. But if you think about it, the consistency of motion, the consistency of action uh, by him has set the standard not only for his people but for the rest of us to follow. He's, I don't know if I should use the word, he's the gold standard for the Indy 500. And... Uh, uh, in our lifetime, in my racing lifetime, with uh, Chip Ganassi, I think Chip can prob- will probably get there if he has the 40 years or the 20 years head start that Roger does have. Um, and there's others. Michael's team is trying to do it too, and they're doing a great job of it. So there's others that have followed in the wake of what, what Penske Racing does at Indy. For open-wheel people in the United States, for sure, that is the race that sets you apart. And it certainly set him apart in the eyes of all of us. Knowing the examples that Penske has set, I guess we could say it's like anything in racing, maybe even life, where if you see a standard, a new standard, and could be pick the area, vehicle preparation, team apparel, public relations, Anytime a new standard is set, if the other teams are listening and the good ones are, they're noticing. There are some might see it, might not take it to heart and try to adapt and reach that new level, but it's a constant one-upsmanship that's going on. Your team, for example, has reached that level, one where with all the championships in particular this decade, Indy 500 wins and so on, can say that there has been parity, if not stepping above Team Penske at points as well. Where does that register with you, knowing that I know you always want to be respectful and pay homage to those who've inspired to set standards for a Chip Ganassi Racing, but there's also times where you've been able to exceed. How do you balance that achievement versus respect? Yes, I I think that uh, if people like me at Chip Ganassi Racing stopped to really think about that, we'd be paralyzed. Mm. Uh, And so what we work really hard on, and we say it all the time, and it's very factual, we work on today. And, uh, uh, And... Penske Racing and uh, some of our counterparts also do exactly the same. They work on today's projects extremely well. I think what, Mr. what set Mr. sets him apart, what sets Roger apart, is his ability to forecast what he needs, what his team needs. Uh, I think our owner, Chip Ganassi, does exactly the same thing. So they're very similar in that regard. 
they're always thinking about what the team needs, and that's what's really great. So people like me, we work on today. People like Roger and Chip work on what we need next. And, and, and I think that that's what you need to have because that's what creates the consistency of motion that you need to have to have an organization that's flexible enough to react to change quicker than everybody else. Um, and uh, in today's, I don't think today's age of racing is any different than it was when he started uh, 50 years ago. It's, it's, you know, it's a basic thing. You have to remember what your core business model is. We race cars. It's that simple. Uh, yes, the, the formula has changed. Yes, the, the, the engines have changed. Yes, the tires have changed. But we, race, we, we still race cars. Uh, and we're lucky enough to do that. People pay us to race on Sunday. Mm. Um, and so you should never vary or fall away uh, or remove yourself from the mindset that that is your core business model. And that's what he's also done a really good job of. And he's, and he's been very flexible in his action to make sure that uh, he has the right people in the right places at the right time. And that starts with the drivers and works, it, works its way through the entire system. Um, and I believe that quality race teams like Chip Ganassi Racing do the same. We think about reputation of a Team Penske within the paddock. I think there are some stereotypes Right, Penske perfect, <laughs> machine-like people, just no emotion, 100%. They're effectively robots. What have you seen in getting to know whether it's Roger, a Tim Sindrick, mechanics, drivers and such, what have you seen within that team that tells you otherwise um, I think that uh, uh, you you can go to Barnes and Noble and you can you can buy books on on how to manage people, and there's more than one way to do it. They manage their people with a certain style and a certain flair. Uh, we manage our people uh, to a strict standard, but probably with a bit different, more of a blue collar look, maybe from the outside than what they do. It's proven in racing that over time, both of those systems can work. So I think what you do as you build your culture is you don't really think too much about that. You think more about the people and, and having the right people in place and uh, uh, how to define accountability for you and your team rather than concentrate on how somebody does on the other side. Because we don't know. The only time we ever find out about Penske Racing is if somebody drifts away over there and we hire them. We might find something out that we didn't realize, but it doesn't happen very often. That's a great point. Uh, One would think among these, your two, are, Andretti being part of the big three that we've mentioned for you know well more than a decade, but at least between Ganassi and Penske, I mean, Briscoe comes to mind as someone who, Ryan Briscoe is a driver, but to your point, there has, you might think that between Coke and Pepsi, there'd be lots of trying to hire and find out secrets and such. In reality, that hasn't really been a part of the culture. Not really. And I think that we have a lot of respect for uh, Penske and Andretti, and we don't poach people from those teams. If one of their people walk in the door, we'll talk to them. But uh, uh, it, it, it doesn't happen regularly. Uh, but if you, if you step back maybe just a little bit and you look back in and you look at Michael Andretti, 
Look at Chip Ganassi and look at Roger Penske when they were race drivers. You almost see the same thing in the management of their teams. Uh, and because they still have their own way of doing business. They have their own personality, and their personalities come through in the management of their teams in a very similar matter, manner to how they drove race cars. Certainly the generation or a lot of the generation that, we're, that, that will hear this broadcast don't remember when, when Roger drove race cars. Uh, they don't remember why he stopped racing cars. Uh, but, uh, um, and I was really young when he was racing, but I've look, looked at a lot of the videos, and there was a great RRDC uh, event a few years ago in Long Beach where people talked about him, and the classic story for him shows that he isn't that person that you referenced. He isn't that buttoned-up guy. When he drove that swimming pool, that car into the swimming pool, uh, <laughs> that shows you that he has a lot of flair. And uh, he wasn't afraid to talk about that story. You know, a lot of people would think that might tarnish his image, but I think that it's exactly the opposite. He's a real person, and he cares about people, and he cares about racing, and he cares about us. He's not so into Penske racing that he forgets about who we are. And, uh, and he cares about the sport. And he cares about the generation coming along that's going to support the, the sport moving forward. Uh, he cares about the process of the sport. Um, he's on multiple, he's in, in different uh, series, but he reacts and uh, operates exactly the same way in NASCAR, in IMSA, in the series in Australia uh, that he does in the United States in IndyCar racing. And uh, that consistency wins races and championships. The last bit that you mentioned, Mike, I think could be another interesting area of distinction or appreciation possibly. So when Chip Ganassi Racing was formed, there was a somewhat brief foray uh, outside the IndyCar team. There was an Indy Lights effort that, was, again, very brief and, and done with, with help with some others. But by and large, Chip Ganassi Racing was an IndyCar team. Additional layers and branches were added with NASCAR and sports cars and such. Has there been anything from looking at that Penske model that you think might have served, not inspiration, but at least we see how someone like Roger can focus on a core, but then build some other pillars that aren't lesser, they're equal, but we've now really massively expanded who we are in our footprint. Are there any parallels there, you think? I think there are. Um, and, I, and I think uh, Michael's team is experiencing uh, a positive there. We d certainly do, because racing is about people. It's uh, how you either manage or don't manage them that makes a big yeah, difference. Yeah. But it's about the talent that walks through the door every morning. So when you have different vocations that race in different series, you, f you find the best. You know, racing is survival of the fittest. And uh, uh, if we have somebody that walks in the door and, and works on our sports car, and we find out how special that person actually is, we didn't know. We looked at the resume, but how do we know? Uh, or how that person fits in our culture, which is probably more important. That person could be on a sports car today, and in a year or two, that person could be on an Indy car, or vice versa. Uh, we have a lot of uh, inter-team promotion where we have somebody who's ready to be in a management position or somebody that's ready to be a crew chief or somebody that's ready to move to the back of a car from the front. Uh, we might move them to the back of the car in a sports car from an IndyCar. We might, the two people that are presently our crew chiefs, uh, 
Uh, in IMSA, we're rear-end mechanics, uh, both on winning teams, one with Dario, one with Scott Dixon, uh, and, they, and they're doing a great job on our IMSA team. So I think that, that, that part of the expansion is what you have. People don't go both ways or three ways or whatever uh, all the time for us, but they go one way, and that's hopefully to the top of the organization. Let's close on this, Mike. So looking at how Penske is indeed celebrating their 50th, knowing that at Indianapolis, that is a place where Chip Ganassi Racing is obviously wanting to get back into the, the win column. Among all the goals and desires and initiatives in motion by your team to do that, where does a Team Penske and a Roger fit in as either an obstacle, I mean, a positive one again, but you don't wake up every morning thinking, how do we beat Roger? I know that you think about how can we be the best who we are, but ultimately when we do go to Indianapolis, there's always a question as to how big of an influence Penske will be on that event. Curious where this fits in as we're coming into their 50th anniversary of what's well, still going to be a big mountain to climb to get past them. The one thing I'm probably not going to think too much about this year at Indianapolis is the fact that uh, it'll be 50 years for Roger. <laughs> I'm going to think about uh, what we need, as you referenced, what we need to do to finish first. I think Indianapolis is the only race that's an exception to a, um, uh, with Chip in our race meeting. Chip always says in the race meeting, uh, if you can't finish, finish first, finish second. If you can't finish second, finish third. If you can't finish third, finish fourth. That's not the Indy 500. If you, if you finish second at the Indy 500, you feel miserable for days. And I think it's because of the amount of time that you expend plus the gravity of the race itself. Uh, so certainly, I don't know if anyone in motor racing will ever approach his record, Roger Penske's record. Uh, we'd certainly like to be someone that, that pushes the envelope there along with some of our other competitors. Uh, certainly wish him the best. Um, and I'm glad, really, that I've gotten to know him. I'm glad that I've gotten to race against him. You know, they say two things about race, races that happen. You either are in the same race or you race against the best. And we've raced against the best for a long, long time. And uh, that, for us, is a, a measure of who we've become. And he was certainly part of driving, a driving force in that regard for us. I'm a little disappointed in a way, I would say this publicly, I'm a little disappointed in a way that I never accepted his offer to go to work for him. But at the same time, I've made the most out of it with, with an owner of equal stature, in my opinion. And, I, and I'm really glad that I have, and I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to race against Roger because that really is something you never thought you'd be able to do, and we have achieved that. So you just have to keep working at it. And that was how Roger Penske changed the Indy 500. You can catch this series and more than 500 episodes at the brand new MarshallPruittPodcast.com site. All brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and Bell Racing Helmets. <laughs>